0: And thanks for listening to RT Radio One's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Ethan Karmick. My guest in this episode is Niamh Nihara, who's just released her new album, Donnelly's Arm. Three slides there from Niamh Nighara's new album, Donnelly's Arm, The Flush of Success, The Worn, Torn, Petticoat and Tom Billy's Favourite. Niamh you're very welcome to The Rolling Wave. This album, Donnelly's Arm, this is a COVID-19 baby. Tell me about the challenges of making an album during a period of, uh, well, restrictions and lockdowns and everything else we've been through in the last nine months.
1: <laughs>
2: Uh, how are you, Eva? Yeah, it, it we, we always intended on recording this album um, in twenty twenty. I, I I had had quite a pause since the previous one, so uh, I couldn't really wait any longer. But uh, literally, as we were going to start rehearsals, um, COVID hit. That was that was it was March, really, when we were kind of beginning all of that. And so yeah, we had great fun, uh, lots of juggling. There were. Ironically, advantages as well as disadvantages. Um, The main issue really for us was the logistics of it all. Instead of it being one recording studio, I ended up using six recording studios because I wanted to make sure the musicians weren't forced to travel, um, especially when they weren't supposed to be traveling and also just limited uh, numbers in in an enclosed space at any given time. So the musicians all um, were really, really flexible, and the engineers as well. Um, it it really was uh, uh, an act of camaraderie, if if anything else. Um, but we had people recording in Mayo, Galway, Dublin, Kerry, uh, Essex, and um, and Sheffield as well. You know, so it 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 was great fun individually for everyone dealing with emails of music and everything but also for the mixing engineer Tony O'Flaherty and Killarney uh, having to pull it all together at the at the end
0: you know but
2: uh, we managed we managed.
0: (laughs) Absolutely you managed um, absolutely and uh, generally then apart from making the CD what what has life been like for you over the past few months I mean I know from talking to people over the over the summer that you know some people Enjoyed being home, enjoyed the the sort of you know quietness, despite all the the difficulties and how how traumatic it was in many ways. What was it like for you? What is it like? I should say well, we're still there, I, so what what is it like yeah, yeah.
2: it's continuously yeah um well, I mentioned before actually um, that there were advantages in terms of the recording process um, in lockdown, and for 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 me. That related to the fact that um, I was working from home, as was my partner. Now, I, I normally work in NUIG in Galway, but I'm based in Dublin. So I was I I'd, I'd commute, um, you know, during the week and and come home at weekends. But because I was working from home, it meant that I was in Dublin, um, as was my partner. So the the evenings after work, we were able to you know play through the music and and work on arrangements and kind of bounce ideas off each other so that was actually really nice because we haven't had that for a while you know um you know we're back again I'm working from home at the moment but when it comes to level three I I I head back over to Galway so I'm kind of having a bit of a yo-yo existence and I know I'm not the only one um but it's 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 given me a chance to listen to a lot of music as well, uh, you know, having the having the radio on while I'm working away. It's yeah. really nice, yeah, you know. Absolutely, no,
0: no, definitely. There there have been good points uh, for for people, and um, it's been as you said at the start. It's been a number of years since you released the last album, Cause That was in honour of uh, Terry Cus and since then you've developed another parallel career path. Tell me about that because it feeds into this record as well.
2: It does, and I suppose it kind of fed out of the previous record. So uh, when I produced the album, Cuz, it had come from a recording, a tape that Cuz made for me when I was really young, about nine or ten years old, on his last visit home. And I'd kept it with me for ages, and I eventually uh, did this recording, which was in tribute and in in homage to him, really. Um, But I spent an awful lot of time making sure that the provenance of all the tunes on that album was correct. Um, You know, tunes that he composed, making sure that he was properly credited, making sure that it was the right title for the tune. And then, of course, as is typical in Irish music, there there was a grey area. There were tunes that others had thought were his, that had attributed to him that weren't his. There were tunes he had written that no one realised were his. And then there were tunes that he he couldn't remember himself if he had written. So um, (laughs) uh, typical of the character too, you know. But I spent a lot of time in the Irish Traditional Music Archive um, researching that. And I really enjoyed that process. But I also was kind of looking around at the time for uh, another, I won't say a brand new career, but it's it's kind of what happened. But, you know, another um, area to work that would complement my music and my touring because well, the body and the mind was getting a little bit tired at that stage. And so I had been kind of thinking of going into the world of archives. But then when the Cos album came out, um, it it really kind of cemented that idea for me, because thankfully there was really, uh, really great positive feedback in the reviews to the music. But quite a few of the reviewers mentioned the archive nature of the work I had done as well. And, you know, I was dead chuffed with this, but I was also kind of embarrassed because I wasn't a professional archivist at the time. And so I thought it might be a good idea to go off and train. Spurred you on. Exactly. Yeah. So I did. Uh, there's there's only one place in Ireland to train. It's uh, UCD and there's only 15 places on the course. So ironically, the because album helped me get a place, you know, the, the interview process I had to do to get onto the course and coming from the kind of sort of non-conventional background I was coming from in terms of archiving um, because album actually helped me
0: into that world and I've been working as an archivist ever since. And as I said, your interest in history and archi- archiving is evident here as well in this album in that a number of the tunes, your own compositions draw on stories from the past on interesting historical figures. The Donnelly of Donnelly's Arm among them, the title track Tell Me Who Donnelly Was and What Happened to His Very Unfortunate Arm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I I think it's such a fascinating story, and ironically, I, I suppose um, I heard it first when I was having a drink in my local here in the Liberties in Dublin. Um, Dan Donnelly was a boxer from the Docklands in Dublin, and he uh, ended up becoming very famous because he beat a few world or world class English boxers um, in matches that had been set up to take place in the Curra in Kildare. And, you know, at a time when it was kind of illegal to be hitting an Englishman, <laughs> he was legally able to put, to hit an Englishman. So we're talking, Dan Dannelly died 200 years ago uh, last year and uh, he died very young at the age of 31. He became very popular. He had a massive following. There would have been 20,000 people at these Wow. boxing matches in the Curragh. And huge. there's a place... Yeah, huge. There's a place now called Donnelly's Hollow, called after him, where those matches took place. And I think a lot of the, uh, the soldiers that train in the Curragh, they'd know that area very well. But um, he, of course, uh, liked the money he got from his prize-winning money. He, he, he enjoyed it a little bit too much. Uh, he was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. He was a womanizer. And he died very young at the age of 31. But he had... Um, managed four different bars in Dublin over that period. And the last one to stand to still exist is actually my local Fallon's in the Liberties. And that's where I heard Mm. about him. But um, the story doesn't end there. When he died, uh, his body was stolen. And um, people will, will know well of stories of, you know, body snatchers and everything. But he had a huge following that were very upset that his body had been stolen and they came together and they tracked it down to a surgeon. So the surgeon hadn't done the stealing himself, but, you know, the, 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 the theft was on order. And they made a deal with the surgeon and the surgeon returned his body for burial minus one arm. And uh, what he did with the arm was he filled it with red lead to preserve it, and it went to the university in Edinburgh for the medical students to study for a few years. It ended up becoming part of an exhibit in a travelling, a Victorian travelling circus around Britain. It eventually came back to Ireland at the start of the 20th century uh, to a bar in Belfast and eventually ended up back in Kildare. (sighs) It Even uh, about 10 years ago, ended up traveling first class over to America for uh, some exhibition over there. But the irony essentially is that his arm became more famous and more traveled than he ever did. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I decided to call uh, the title tune Donnelly's Arm rather than. Dan Donnelly himself, as you know.
0: Well, you've immortalised it beautifully uh, in the tune and the title track of this album. And uh, we we are going to hear a song. Actually, there's a song on this album as well. There are a few songs on this album because you play fiddle and concertina here, but you also sing. And one of those songs is called um, Gone Gonna Rise Again. Tell me about this song and the tune that comes after it.
2: Well, again, a link to Falance, the local, a uh, very good friend of ours, Enda um, uh, who uh, who always shares music with me when 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 we walk in. He's always listening to music and he was listening to this song at the time and it it really jumped out at me. Um, so Sy Khan is an American musician and activist um, and uh, he wrote the song called Gone Gonna Rise Again and, and it, it, to me it really jumped out because it's all about you know, rising from difficulty and it's, it's, uh, you know, generation looking after the next generation. And uh, it, it, I think it's it really kind of, um, I, it, I suppose it reached out to me really, especially with the way that we're all kind of looking out for each other at the moment with this pandemic that's going on. So I followed it with a slip jig and a reel that I wrote myself. And I called both of those erska Hale which, as you know, is the Irish um, language language. Um, expression um, in each other's shadow which basically means that we look out for each other but it was almost a motto um, that was used by the government at the start of this pandemic when they, when you know they were encouraging us all to keep an eye out and so I suppose this track really is the Covid track um, of the album I remember the year that my granddad died On the mountain side gone,
0: gone alright. Gone, Gonna Rise Again, and Ersko Achela from Nev Niamh, Nichara's Niamh new album, Donnelly's Arm. Niamh, your background in music, you mentioned Terry Kuztean, but your your own background in music, tell me a bit about that.
2: Um, well, I, I'm i from Killarney myself. I grew up playing music. Uh, I think I asked um, Santa Claus for Illum Pipes when I was four, and Santa Claus went, No way, and I got a concertina instead. <laughs> <laughs> I think Santa Claus knew, knew very well that that was the right way to go. Uh, So I've been playing um, music since I was that age and it was interesting when when I was growing up in Killarney there was nobody my own age. Um, My older sisters played, they're about uh, six and seven years older than me Um, but there was nobody my own age playing. But, like, I have great memories of being brought into pubs. I don't think you can do it now, but I was being brought into pubs from the age of eight and sitting around playing with, you know, great box players from, from that area. Johnny uh, Leary, uh, Jimmy Doyle, Brasnan, Brosnan um, and just everybody always watching out for me and Uh, Buckley's Bar and Murphy's Bar were the two main pubs I used to go to and I remember actually um, Mrs Buckley um, her son was managing the pub and another son used to play with us Uh, She used to bring me in the back afterwards and make corned beef sandwiches and uh, give me a glass Mm -hmm. of of orange juice, you know, after the tunes. And my dad would be there, you know, nursing his one whiskey for the whole night while I'd be playing away. But actually, that Mrs. Buckley is Jessie Buckley's grandmother, uh, Jessie Buckley, that's making a huge name for herself now and in the world of film. Um, But that was really was my upbringing. I, I didn't actually go studying music at all i i i became an electronic engineer that's a whole other story um but uh i was working for a software company in boston um the first job i got when i graduated from engineering and boston you know was just this hope of irish music all the irish bands that were touring were, were passing through and i was meeting loads of people and i just decided do you know what i want to give this a go so i Gave up the job and came home and did a course in Cork uh, called Stifonefa on music and management but what I hadn't known was that um, I had been heard and my name had gone back to uh, Riverdance and so I got a call out of the blue to, to join Riverdance and the rest as they say is history.
0: And How long did you spend with Riverdance?
2: I spent eight years for all my sins playing with Riverdance. Yeah. yeah, no, I had a great, great time. It was, it, it, it's a long time ago now, but um, it was the early days of Riverdance. But really, it was, I suppose, um, a huge uh, learning curve Um Coming as I did from the really traditional background, you know, to be sitting on a bandstand playing with, with you know, sax players and drums and bass and listening to, to rhythms that were 15, 16 and all of this
0: kind of stuff, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it. And the, the, the sort of um, <clears throat> the writing of the tunes then that is very present on this album, is that something that you always did or when did that come into play?
2: I think it's certainly something that I I would have, you know, scribbled at for quite a while, you know. Um and it I, I think I made a conscious decision when I when I when I was releasing my my first album to kind of go look at all of those kind of doodles and see was there anything in them, you know. And from that point onwards I was much more conscious about, you know, writing stuff and and not just writing but editing out as well, you know. It's important to know when what you've written isn't great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It is, that is important in all, in all walks in of life. In
2: all walks of life, exactly. <laughs> and actually I have, it, it, it's not increasing anymore, but I have a very strange artefact. I have a plastic folder full of sick bags and what it is, is that I would be on an airplane traveling and a, t- a oh. tune would come to my head and I'd ask the hostess for a pen and I would write the tune on the back of a sick bag. Um, but uh, they don't do sick bags anymore on the planes. And of course, we're not traveling anymore. So
0: that, that'll be interesting <laughs> when you hand that collection over now to uh, to, <laughs> to a university know, or, to but, or something. That'll be an interesting uh, uh, yeah, uh ephemera. It. The move then away from touring and gigging full time and a move that was fortuitous in one way over this past year. What made you decide to do that? Was it just, as you said at the start, just sort of the body and the mind getting tired or or was there more to it?
2: I think it was a combination of the body and mind getting tired and just, I suppose, a a sense of realism that um, since the recession had kicked in in 2008, You know, I had noticed that for an awful lot more work, you were getting the same fee. It was becoming harder and harder to um, to tour, uh, you know, an awful lot more countries were issuing visas, that you had to have a visa to travel, which was costly. Um, Festivals that, you know, 15, 20 years ago would pay for your flights and pay for your visa and book you two years in advance were now struggling and we're booking you 6 months in advance and you had to get your visa and your flights yourself and of course if you're booking your visa that close to a gig it becomes much harder to actually get it and you you pay more so just from a logistics point of view it was just getting more and more difficult and i think the recession with festivals struggling as well as musicians um it just me made me very aware that this wasn't that there wasn't that much security in in the music, even though I love it and, and, and loved it and, and, you know, still do want to, to, to tour. I just felt I needed to have more than one string to my bow, if you will excuse the musical analogy. And <laughs> um, But also, I, I think I, I just really, this world really kind of called out to me too. I mean, I, I really enjoyed, as I said earlier, I really enjoyed the research that I was doing on previous albums. And um, I really enjoy the work I do now as an archivist. And I just think they complement each other
0: very well. Well, pardoning the the next pun, the, the two arms go very well together. Uh, they work well together, the archiving and the music, because they're obviously complementary. Um, moving back to the album, Neave, you have the fiddle, the concertina, and the singing. Is, is there? Do you feel more at home on any one of those? I mean, you mentioned the concertina was the first instrument.
2: I think it really just depends. It's 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 kind of like asking, you know, which one is your favourite child. Um, you, <laughs> you don't you don't like to admit to to any of those preferences. Uh, to be honest, the singing came a lot later. Uh, the fiddling. Constina is is what I grew up with playing. And I started both of them more or less at the same time. It's really more a mood. There were times when I just want to sit back and play something, you know, kind of lean into it. Um, There's other times when I want to, to, you know, do something quite energetic and drivey. And and depending on my mood, I'll I'll pick up a different instrument, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of mood, you recorded a slow air on this album as well with uh, the wonderful Kate Ellis on cello. Uh, Tell me about this air.
2: So this is an air that's been with me for a long time. Um, I'm a Kerry woman myself, but my dad is from Galway. And this is a tragic uh, story from Galway, from Anna Down, of um, people traveling by boat to the fair in Galway. And um, apparently a cow or a sheep, an animal of some description, um, took fright and kicked through the boat and uh, 20 of the people in the boat sadly drowned afterwards. And there was um, a poem written about the tragedy by Antonia Rafta that was put to song. And the air I play here is the air to the, to the song. And it's Anna Khon.
0: played by Neve Nikar and Kate Alice from Neve Nikar's new album "Donnelly's Arm." Neve, I want to just play one more track to finish, and uh, it's a set of reads. But before we play it, could you tell me the story about the Catherine who is the woman behind your tune, the red-haired Catherine? Here, I I I didn't know about her before I read this.
2: Um, so red-haired Catherine, it was. It's 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 a very sad story, but also one. Uh, where we know very little information, Um, Catherine Crean was a member of the Belgian resistance during the Second World War. She was living in Brussels at the time. And um, apparently she was working with the resistance on what's known as the Comet Line, which was a 1,000-mile escape route running from Brussels the whole way down to Gibraltar in Spain. And... um, This was to help allies and refugees get out of um, occupied Belgium. And she was captured eventually and interned in Ravensbrück uh, women's camp, which was quite a brutal camp. And she tragically died actually after it had been um, released. She she, she died just shortly afterwards because she was already dying really um, before that. But there's a lovely story told by another um, woman of the resistance. Um, her her name was André Dumont. Um, she was Belgian. Um, she had a code name, Nadine. And without her, we wouldn't even know about Catherine. But um, André tells a story about um, a dying Catherine asking André to comb her red hair. And it's a lovely image um you know these women kind of coming together and helping each other in under really really different circumstances um but also it's fascinating because if you think of the images we have of the women that would have been in the camps they all had their hair shaved off and so it's believed that the only reason that Catherine's red hair her long red hair was intact was because of the superstitions of the captors um, so I, I called the tune Red-Haired Catherine and I deliberately didn't do a lament. I deliberately did a, a nice lively tune kind of, you know, to remember her.
0: The rebel spirit.
2: Exactly. The rebellious nature and and, and the resistance and, and, and all of that. So Red-Haired Catherine.
0: And just that last, just briefly, that last tune in that set kind of pulls all of the ideas you have in this album as well together. Because uh, tell me about this. It's a real, real du fort, <laughs>
2: yes um it's it's a French Canadian tune, but it's a French Canadian tune I actually learned from um a basque musician <coughs> uh shabby I can never pronounce the surname he's a, a a basque box player that I have toured with and and recorded with and um it's this tune I learned from him I just think it's kind of unusual and yet very normal in the in in the world that we're in as musicians that I would learn a French Canadian tune from a Basque musician while I think I was in France. Um, But it just kind of uh, spoke to me about that, you know, while we're all in lockdown um, and feeling quite isolated, that actually we're all very much connected and it is a small world. And, you know, I just liked to be reminded of that myself, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, well, look, Nívení Khara, good luck with the work and the album and hopefully you and your fellow musicians on this album will be able to hit the stage at some time in the next year. And uh, thanks a million for being with us on The Rolling Wave. Thanks a million, Aoife, and
2: yes, hopefully so. Hopefully we'll all be back gigging as soon as possible.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcasts. So if you'd like to hear the full versions of the tunes, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And a shorter edition of this interview with Niamh Ní was first broadcast on the 17th of January 2021. Till the next time, goeir míde magi
1: you